You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. A question we get, I mean, monthly, weekly, all the time, one in four, that might be an exaggeration, but everyone wants to hear you talk about the doctrine of election. And we've answered this before, but we're going to take another stab because everyone needs to hear, well, you have to hear something eight times before you even begin to comprehend and retain it, right? So at least let's go. Doctrine of election. It's sort of like teaching too. Uh, Yeah. It's, you know, that's the one cool thing about, see, if you teach a Bible study, you learn more Mm -hmm. than if you just sit and listen, just as a little shameless provocation to get you. I think that's one of the reasons I really love teaching. Yeah. Well, then you learn it. I learned so much more. All right. Let's start here. There's a whole glossary of terms, but in reviewing, and I literally have 20-some pages that I've accumulated in this file folder, and it grows. I think on my computer, I probably have 100 documents. Not to accumulate documents, but is there a way to say it mm-hmm. that helps people? Mm-hmm. Let's start at the beginning. God chose mm-hmm. the nation Israel. True. He chose Abraham, and let's start with him. Adam, of course, is his creation and his image, but he chose a man named Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham is not a God-fearing Jewish man. He would be in the Chaldean deities. His father is still Terah, T-R-H, was his father, who was a moon worshiper. So Abraham, descending from Adam, has no relationship, no knowledge, no connection to this Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, and God picks him, and he chooses him to be the father of all nations. And he, Sarai will be Sarah, Abram, Abraham, and they're going to have innumerable number of children. Well, they only have one, Hmm. not mentioned uh, Ishmael right now. Isaac is their only child. Well, how is this counting the sands of the sea was the promise. God chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We talk about the patriarchs. We talk about Joseph. So these men were chosen, these families were chosen by God. So right there, just stop before you think about all the, you know, the tripwires about he chooses some and sends some to hell and it's not fair. He chose Abraham, not because he was better than anybody. He chose Noah, not because he was better than anybody. In fact, the text is so powerful there. He says, Noah found favor with God. People say, oh, he was living better than anyone else. No, the text says God gave him favor. Hmm. We don't have any reason in the Bible to think that Noah was more righteous than other people. His righteousness was because he obeyed God when God chose him to build this ark. So go through your Old Testament and look at the prophets who are chosen, and many of them are reluctant prophets. Mm. Look at Jonah. He's chosen to go preach to Nineveh. It goes the wrong way. (laughs) The, The only one who is somewhat willing is Isaiah, and that's after he realizes his sinfulness, and the angel brings the coal uh-huh. and a tongue onto his lips uh-huh. to, to symbolize forgiving his sin. So we have this story that we overlook. God chose a nation. He chose individuals to be his chosen people. So were they elect? Yes. Yeah. Were they predestined? Yes. And so right then and there, you have to you know, wheel back on your biblical theology before you get into the naughty parts of it. Now, the second one, and I always turn, I remember having a guy back at Virginia when we were living there come down to me, and he was so mad at me because I talked about election and predestination. And he has big Bible in front of me, threatening me. And I said, you got your Bible there. It's open to Ephesians chapter 1. So he returns to Ephesians chapter 1. 
and I'm going to turn there too. And he said, I said, okay, I want you to read a couple of verses here, starting in chapter one. Chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And let me just stop there and say, if you're a Christian, that verse should stop you in your tracks. Mm. You have every spiritual blessing. Not some, not enough to get you there, every one of them. And we whine about what we don't have. That's for free. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Stop, drop, and roll. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What does that mean if it doesn't mean election? Now, it continues with a purpose, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Not because we were better, not because Noah was better, not because Abraham was better. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption. So I had this man read it. I go, what does that mean? I don't know, but it doesn't mean predestination. <laughs> well, they just don't want to. They don't accept it. And the reason they don't want to, in part, is because experientially they know people who maybe were good people and didn't know Christ. Mm-hmm. They themselves are unsure of their own relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's an Armenian view that God is going to pick certain people who are better than, and they keep that salvation as long as they're good. Mm. So we get into loss of salvation. But you really need to go no further than Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 5, in my opinion. Going down to verse 11, he continues this thought all through chapter 1. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. So, And then he'll continue to talk about that we're sealed in verse 13 with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we were chosen before the foundation of the world. We're predestined and adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So I don't know how you get around not understanding the election and the doctrine of election when it comes to that. Now, there are objections. Well, I mean, let's go to John 3.16. Whosoever believes in him. So that seems like a universal, any like Christ came and died for all, whosoever may believe. What do we do with some of these other verses that seem... So we don't want to get too far into limited versus unlimited atonement. Yeah. But I believe that the offer of salvation is universal. Yeah. And... Yet we know not everyone is going to come to Christ. True. So my Reformed friends say, no, Michael, you're wrong. Only the Christ elect. died for the elect. Only the elect. Yeah, I don't like that. And Well, intellectually, <laughs> I agree with what they're saying, but I think it misses some of the corpus of Scripture that says, whosoever will. So yeah. what I like to say, and I'm not the only one, theologians that hold this position, the offer is universal, yeah. but only the elect are going to respond. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know who the elect are. Right. Jesus did not say, go and preach to the elect. That's right. He didn't say, go and find the elect. That's right. He didn't say, go and find those I've chosen. He said, make disciples of all, all. ethnos, all ethnic groups, all people yeah. groups. Go out, do the work of the evangelist, Paul told the young Timothy. So election doesn't exempt us from sharing Christ with people. 
you've heard me use this illustration many, many times. It's attributed to Alan Redpath. It's attributed to J. Vernon McGee. I've done homework. In fact, if you know, let me know because I have done homework on this and can't find it. I think Redpath is the oldest reference, but it's the arch illustration. And that all of humanity is going to hell mm-hmm. and this huge traffic, walking, we're all the walking dead. We're all walking to hell. And over to the side of our life, at some point, there's this arch. And on the front of the arch, it says, whosoever will. Mm-hmm. And some go and walk through that arch. Mm-hmm. They responded to the call. Sometime later, they look back on the arch, and it says, Ephesians 1, 3, chosen before the foundation of the world. And the way I like to expand that illustration is to say, the offer is available to all, but the doctrine of election only has application for the Christian. Mm-hmm. The doctrine of election has no application to a person that doesn't know Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think my Reformed friends get it wrong. When they say he only died for the elect and it's a limited juncture to just those people. I understand that intellectually, but I can't get away from the offer of salvation. God is not going to relegate people to hell. And this goes into what some call double predestination. Right. And Paul would address this inferentially in Romans chapter 9, where he's talking about the potter and the clay. Verse 20, this whole argument in chapter 9 is God's sovereign election versus man's reasoning. That's what 9 is about. How can God be sovereign in his election of people? And how does man reason his way through this thing? And so he's walking through this whole argument, and he quotes from the Old Testament in verse 15. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy, which I agree. My Reformed friends are right on this. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, which is interesting, God's talking to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So Pharaoh is a puppet. God's going to use him for a purpose. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? And what they're saying there, what Paul's, it's called an interlocutor, this objection. So wait a minute. If he chose Pharaoh to kill him and to use him for that reason, then. How is that Pharaoh's fault? How is that Pharaoh? Yeah, exactly. And Paul answers, that's our question. You say back to God? Yeah. Don't miss his answer. On the contrary, verse 20, who are you, O man, that answers back to God? Yeah. This is hubris. Yeah. Who do you think you are to impugn God's character to say that he chose Pharaoh to destroy him, to make a point mm-hmm. to God's people? And I would put parentheses, even if that were true, the interlocutor has no right to shake his fist at God and said, then who finds mercy? How's God fair? And then he continues, The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me this way? Or does the potter have the right over the clay to make the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, and here's the big verse, verse 22, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. So he's prepared beforehand. That's election and predestination. But 
The point is to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, the elect. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to fall on your face and on your knees and say, why did he choose me? Because mm-hmm. I'm no better than anybody else. I can't claim that I'm better than a Pharaoh. I can't claim that I'm better than a murderer or a thief or a rapist or you know, a criminal of any capital offense. Uh, we're not. So the problem is we co-mingle the doctrine of election with the idea of free will and man's choice. So we mix these all together and say, stop. The call is universal, whosoever will. The end result is, yes, only the elect are going to respond to mm-hmm. that call. But the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, has no application for men and women, children who don't know Christ. It's non sequitur. We don't talk about it. Are you elect? You know, are you chosen? Right, How right, do you know? Right. We need to find out if you're elect. No, right. you need to share the gospel. Christ does not enjoin us to ask them about their election or predestination. He enjoins us to share his story. They lived, he died, he was buried, he came back from the dead, and any and all who put their trust in Christ and Christ alone are given a free gift called eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and you begin a relationship eternally living with him. That's what we're supposed to do, not argue about who's elect or not. If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Easley in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.